0: When the disciples heard that news, you can imagine that how, how that must have made them feel. I mean, they must have felt distraught. They must have felt lost, very scared about the future. This is their last meal with their friend, with their teacher, with their pastor. And of course, they're going to be shaken up by this. And of course, they'll be full of fear and trepidation. What are they going to do without Jesus? They've left everything to follow him. And now he's not going to be around anymore? What are they gonna do? I mean, the future would clearly seem frightening, full of uncertainty. And we read in John chapters 14 through 16, as Jesus breaks this news to them that guys, this is it. I'm I'm going to die because that's why I came. Uh, Jesus encourages them that He he encourages them about their future. He tells them that even though he's going away, he's not abandoning them. He's going to send them the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. And His Spirit is going to dwell within them. and It's going to lead them and help them and teach them just as He has always been with them and taught them and led them. And then after He tells them those things and, and comforts them about their future, as their pastor, as their friend, what does Jesus do? He prays for them. He prays for these guys. They're sitting around this table, and Jesus, their, their pastor, right? Their, their friend, their teacher, he prays for him, And that's what we have here in John chapter 17, is the prayer which Jesus prayed over his disciples at the Last Supper, as he told them that this is going to be their last meal together. So you need to picture the scene, right? Here they are, all these guys, and they're seated around this table, probably sitting on the floor, and Jesus is breaking this news to them. They're probably visibly, like, upset about this news, and Jesus says, listen, I'm not only going to comfort you with words, but I want to pray for you. So let me pray for you. And this prayer that Jesus prayed over them, you know, John, as he writes his gospel, this prayer has just been burned into his memory, right? And he's able to just recall the the very words of that prayer. Here is the words that Jesus prayed over us at the Last Supper. And I just want to read you part of that prayer. So if you'd follow along with me from verse 13 of John chapter 17. Jesus is praying this, speaking to the Father, but praying over his disciples. He says, Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, if you would, turn with me just a few pages to your right to uh, John chapter 20. Now, a lot goes on between John chapter 17 and John chapter 20. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's crucified. He dies. He's buried. And on the third day, he rises from the dead, Easter, and that's what takes place here in chapter 20. We see Easter Sunday, and we read this starting in verse 19. It says on the evening of that day, on the evening of Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and he said, "Peace be with you." And when he had said this, they showed or he showed them his hands and his sides, or his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the lord and jesus said to them again peace be with you as the father has sent me even so i am sending you what we have here in these two texts is the story of what christian mission is all about in fact the word mission is found four times in these two texts that we just read because the word mission In English, it comes from the Latin word missio, which means literally just to send, right? So four times there, my father has sent me on a mission. I am sending you on a mission, 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 mission. To be on mission, what does it mean? It means to be sent by someone to do something for a purpose. And Jesus right here, he's telling us, he's showing us that not only is he a person who is on a mission, but that anyone who comes in contact with him will also become people on mission. That's why it's been said uh, by Emil Brunner, the missiologist, right? What he said is the church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. And in, in talking about mission, in our discussion today, here's what we're going to be talking about, three about mission that we're going to focus on number one why you need a mission you know that you need a mission we're going to talk about why number two we're going to talk about the problem of mission and finally we're going to explore how mission works so first of all let's talk about this why you need a mission why how many of you remember being seven years old now i have a seven year old and it's you know it's it's great it's an amazing thing to see the world through his eyes you know uh, he just wrote his first blog post yesterday, which, uh, you know, kids these days, seven years old. Anyway, so, uh, he wanted to write this blog post, but he's, he can read and write, but he is just painfully slow on a keyboard. So I said, we're making a video blog. So anyway, he made his first video blog yesterday. Most of you guys can remember being seven years old, probably. You know, the thing about kids at that age is that they are incredibly full of hope. That's why I like being around them, actually, you know. They're just teeming with, they're just brimming with hope. And, and they aren't jaded, they're not cynical like so many of the adults that you meet. And one of the ways that you can see that overflowing hope in their lives is how every child loves stories about heroic quests. They love stories about heroic quests and adventures and about world-saving missions. Saving the world, changing the world. World-saving missions, isn't that what all the great stories are ultimately all about? All the stories that most excite you and stir your heart, that's what they're about. They're about world-saving missions. And, the ch- and children, they just innately have this love for and this belief in world-saving missions. And when they think about their future, when they, what they want to do when they grow up, they think about it in terms of mission. Earlier this year, my son graduated from kindergarten. It was a pretty big deal, you know. He wore the robes and everything. And during that ceremony, each of the kids, you know, stood up and they they would talk about what they want to be when they grow up. And you know what's weird is that not a single one of them said, you know, I'm really hoping to get a job in data entry. I'm really hoping, you know, to sit in front of a computer all day in an office pushing papers around. And uh, not one of them said, I'm really hoping to get into middle level management, you know? No, they all said things like, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a soldier, I wanna be a firefighter, I wanna be a police officer. One kid said he wanted to be the president, right? Do you see what the focus of that is? The focus is, I'm gonna make a difference. I wanna help people, I wanna change things, I wanna alleviate suffering, I wanna bring joy and happiness and beauty into the world. They see their future in terms of what? They see their future in terms of mission. From the time that they're children, it's built into us. You know why children want to do those things? Why they want to help people and save the world? You know why? Because there's joy in that. Because they find joy in it. It fills their heart with joy to think about helping people. You see, there is a link between joy and mission. And I would go as far as to say this, that mission is a requirement. It's a fundamental requirement for joy. As we grow up, as we get into our teenage years, into our 20s, we get into high school, we get into college, we try to hold on to this ideal of doing something significant, something with our lives that isn't about us, that's about something bigger, something that will change the world, that will make things better. And and some of you, probably even when you went to college, you chose your major in college because you wanted to make an impact on the world for good. You had a desire to bring love and peace and healing and justice into the world. And you wanted to do that with your life. You know, I know a lot of people who become teachers. Nobody becomes a teacher because they want to get rich, you know? Everybody who becomes a teacher knows, I'm never going to make any money doing this, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want to make an impact on the world. I want to change lives. I want to be in the trenches making things happen and bringing about change. But you know what happens is that Somewhere along the line, things change and we we end up with all these adults that you see around, you know. They've got all the stuff, they're running the rat race, but they have no joy in it. You know, they've got all the stuff, they've got the house, they've got the cars, they've got all the stuff, but they have got no joy. And I would say this, that the reason why so many people are lacking joy is because so many people don't have joy mission they don't have a mission they're no longer on a mission that's bigger than themselves and bigger than their life and it's about saving the world and you know in your in our culture when you become an adult there's this kind of philosophy that is sold to us it it says basically this that look idealism and dreams of saving the world that's all fine and good when you're a kid when you're young you know you know but but now when when you're an adult it's really time to grow up And here in the real world, what really matters is your own personal fulfillment and comfort. And so those are the things. You know, leave everybody else alone. Stop trying to save the world. Just focus on your own life, your own comfort, your own happiness, your own fulfillment. And so many people buy into that. And they trade, do you understand? They trade this mission of changing the world and making a difference. They trade it for a different mission, a a new goal of personal fulfillment, And here's the problem with that. When you have no higher cause than making yourself happy and comfortable, you have no mission. You have no mission. You no longer have anything worth living for. You no longer have anything worth dying for. You no longer have anything worth sacrificing for except for yourself. And at that point, you have no mission. And when you have no mission, you will have no joy because mission is necessary. It's a fundamental requirement for joy a lot of people are lacking joy in their life because they are lacking mission. You need a mission. You were built for a mission. It's part of who God made you to be. And and when you're living for yourself and you have no mission, you you have no joy because it's a fundamental requirement for joy that you be on a mission. And Jesus, he makes this connection between joy and and mission here in john chapter 17 in that section we read as he sends his disciples out on mission in verse 13 check out what he says that's why we started in that verse john 17 verse 13 what does jesus say i'm coming to you he says these things i speak in the world that why that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves my joy fulfilled in themselves and then he says down in verse 18 so what's the context The context is, I want them to have my joy. And then in verse 18, as he's praying, he prays for them. Father, just as you sent me into the world, so now I'm sending them into the world. Do you get what he's saying? Jesus is saying this. Father, I have so much joy in this mission you've given me. I want my followers, I want everybody who follows in my footsteps to have the joy that I have. And so in order that they might have my joy, I'm giving them my mission. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we read just this incredible, fascinating, just thought-provoking statement. It's one that you can just really let roll around in your mind for a long time, and it says this. It says, consider Jesus, and it says this, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and he despised its shame. Jesus endured the cross for you. He bore your sins. He bore your shame. That is the story of the cross, but this is the background story this is behind the scenes to where the father takes you back to where the father comes to the son and says i'm sending you on a mission it's going to be a mission to bring truth and life and salvation into the world that's broken that's dying under the curse of sin and death and you're going to go to save them. i'm sending you on a mission to save them." but he also said this but it's going to cost you everything It's going to cost you everything. You are going to have to take all the sin, all the punishment, all the suffering of the world. It's all going to fall upon you. It's going to go into you and it's going to crush you. It's going to destroy you and tear you to pieces. But as a result, people are going to be saved and lives are going to be transformed and set free forever. You're going to redeem them. And Jesus, as he considers this mission uh, you know, which he, he considers this mission, he considers both the cost and the payoff of this mission, and his heart is filled with one thing, overwhelmingly, and that is joy, as he considers the prospect. And it's this joy of the final outcome of, of this prospect, of this mission, which carried him through the most difficult times, that made him able to endure the cross and despise the shame it was all about joy and so jesus said i want other people to have my joy and so i'm sending them out on mission i'm sending them on my mission so that they might have fullness of joy you know so many people are lacking joy in their lives why because they are living for themselves you when you have no mission when you have no higher commitment than yourself you know the ironic thing is this the more significance you give to yourself, the less significant your life will be in the big picture. Do you think about that? The more significance you give to yourself, the less significant your life will be in the world. The more you live for yourself, the less you will make a difference and have an impact on the world. But Jesus said this. He said, I'm giving you a mission, and if you accept this mission, God will use you to bring truth and life and salvation and redemption into the world. And yes, there will be a cost. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will cost you resources to fulfill this calling. There will be a cost. In fact, it may even cost you your whole life. But it is something which is worth living for. It's something which is worth dying for and sacrificing for because there's nothing more important in the world than mission. I ran across this quote this week that said this, the hardest thing about fighting is finding something worth fighting for. I agree with that. And, and, I, and I have to say this, that the gospel, the, this message, this mission of God, what we have here is something worth fighting for. And it's the fact that we need a mission. You need a mission. It's a fundamental human need. It's a basic requirement for joy to have a mission. And the mission of God is the only mission that is truly, legitimately worth giving everything for, because it's the only mission which actually has the potential to save the world. But that brings us then to the problem of mission, doesn't it? The problem of mission, you know, there are a lot of people uh, today, especially here where we live uh, in this part of the country, in this part of the state, uh, who, who look at Christianity and they'll say, you know, that's a really nice religion. There are a lot of really nice teachings in it. There are a lot of really great principles in it. I love the community aspect of Christianity. They, they might say, I respect the teachings about family and morality and putting others before yourself. Those are all great things. They do a lot of good for the world. But they might say, but the one part that I, I don't like is this. It's just so narrow. Have you had anybody ever tell you that before? This is the part that, that's hard for me. It's just so narrow. I mean, how presumptuous is that to claim that anyone who doesn't believe what you believe is lost and going to hell? Isn't that presumptuous? I mean, how how presumptuous that you can claim that you are on a mission from God to save the world. Isn't that presumptuous? You know, how, how presumptuous that you are out there trying to convert people and try to make them like you. You know when it, they might say when it comes to mission I'm okay with you going to some, you know, developing country and building houses for poor people or, or doing things in faraway places to help people have a better life. That's all fine. But why do you have to try to make everybody believe what you believe and think like you think? Even some Christians today would say something along the same lines. They might say, "You know, I love learning about the Bible, I love taking the sacraments, I love worshiping, I, but the part that I don't really like about Christianity is that we're always being told to go and convert the world to what we believe, you know, and there's always the preacher there, he's harping on me to go convert my neighbors and bring my friends to church, you know, man, if they could just get rid of that, then it would, it would be way better. The problem with mission is that in our society, it's considered arrogant to claim that you know the truth and it's considered arrogant to think for you to claim that other people should believe what you believe. And part of the reason why, you know, I talked about this idea of how we're innately have this sense of mission. Part of the reason why we lose that sense of mission as as we become adults is because there are so many voices in our society that, that tell you that, listen, trying to make a difference, trying to change the world, trying to save the world, that's futile, right? It doesn't matter and it's all relative anyway, right? And the idea that you can change the world, at best, that's naive, and at worst, it's terribly arrogant, maybe even dangerous. And so rather than trying to save everybody else, they would say, why don't you just worry about your own life? Why don't you just focus on yourself and leave everybody else alone? But here's the problem with mission, that you cannot be a Christian and not be on mission. If you take that out, you've just taken out the heart of it. You can't remove it. The problem with mission, the command to be on mission comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. He says, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, teach everybody to obey all that I've commanded you. Those aren't my words, those are Jesus' words. That may not be popular, but it's straight from the mouth of Jesus. And that means that in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot ignore that. You can't take it out. You can't dismiss it. To really practice Christianity, you must be actively engaged in pursuing that mission. It's inherent to what Christianity is. So that's the problem of mission. Mission isn't popular, but it is an integral part of Christianity. You remove mission from Christianity, you remove the heart. You just can't do it. So we have this need for mission, and we have the problem of mission, but let's talk about how mission works. Let's talk about the nuts and bolts here. First of all, what exactly is the mission that Jesus has sent us on? You know, if you look around, you will see people doing a lot of different things and activities all under the title of mission, right? You'll see for some people, They're digging wells in Africa, and they say, this is mission. For some people, they're doing evangelism, just evangelism. They say, this is mission. For some people, it means, you know, caring for the homeless and the destitute in our city. And they say, we're on mission. In John chapter 17, Jesus gives us two perspectives on what mission is and what a person on mission is called to do. Two perspectives. And really, this is very helpful to see it this way. First, we are sent on a mission to do what? Number one, to show something, to show something. If you still got your Bible, open to John 17. Look with me uh, at, at verse six. Jesus says, I have uh, manifested your name. Some of your translations, he will say, I have shown your name. I have shown your name. See, Jesus was on a mission. Part of that mission was to show Now think about this, Uh, missions inherently are about showing something. We have many missions in this country. They, you know, in, in older times, they were commonly known as missions. Nowadays, a lot of them are known as embassies, right? But we have many of them in our country. We have a mission of Spain in the United States, a mission of France. We have a mission of South Africa, a mission of Australia. The United States also has missions in other countries. And what are those missions full of? They're full of ambassadors, and these ambassadors are sent to do what? To show people what their country is really all about. Ambassadors and missions are sent to to dispel stereotypes, to represent their nation in a truthful and accurate way. And that's what Jesus did. He came to show something. In verse 6, Jesus says, Father, You sent me on this mission, and I did it. I showed them. I manifested your name. That's what I've done. I've revealed you. I've showed you to the people. Jesus came as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. He came to show people what God's heart is like, what his kingdom is really all about, the things that God cares about, the things that matter, the things that are a priority in his kingdom. Paul the apostle tells us that as Christians, he says, you are ambassadors for Christ. What that means is that you are on a mission. A mission to do what? To show people God's heart, to show people God's love and to represent the culture and the values of his kingdom, which we have become citizens of. And that's why one of the ways, one of the aspects of doing mission is focused on showing people the heart of God. And that's why we do practical things, to show people the heart of God, to bless them, to love them. Why do we do that? To show them the heart of God. So part of mission is to show. But that's not the whole of mission. That's part of it. Jesus' mission from God, uh, our mission from God is not only to show, but also it's to save. In verse 19, if you still got your Bible, open up, uh, 19, Jesus says this, for their sake I consecrate myself. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of his death. That's the context here. I consecrate myself. I give myself over to death. Why? that they might be sanctified in truth. Jesus didn't just come to show people God's heart, he came to save sinners. Imagine there's somebody you love, and you see in that person the symptoms of a disease which you used to have, and you know that that's life-threatening, and you know what had to be done in your life in order for that to be taken away, in order for you to be saved from that sickness. But this person that you care about, they don't recognize that they're sick. They, they don't even think they're sick. They don't think anything's wrong. So what would you do in that situation? Somebody you love is sick. You, you see it. You know what had to be done in your life. But they don't think anything's wrong. What would you do? Well, you would start trying to persuade them, wouldn't you? You would start trying to persuade them. No, let me explain this to you. You would start by telling them your story. This happened to me. I was where you were at. This is what happened. This is how it all went down. This is how I was healed of it. That's what evangelism is all about. If you care about somebody and you know the truth about their condition and the truth about how they can be saved from that condition, that's what evangelism is. It's when you have truth and love together that you cannot help but be on a mission to save. When you have truth and love, when those two collide and meet, you cannot help but be on a mission. You have to be on a mission. If you have only truth but no love, right? You know the truth but you just don't care, then there's no mission. If you have love for that person but you don't have the truth that's able to help them, then there is no mission. But it's at the intersection, at the collision of truth and love. When those two come together, you have to be on mission. You are on mission. And that's what the Christian has. You know that as Christians, that is what we have. Truth and love. When truth and love collide, you can't help but be a person on mission. And that's why we must evangelize. We must preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We must call people to repentance in order that they might be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God and have eternal life. How many of you have ever heard this saying? The saying is, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Anybody heard that one? It's pretty popular. Uh, That quote is sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Sometimes it's uh, attributed to Augustine. But here's the thing, St. Francis didn't say that. He never said that. And Augustine, he didn't say it either. But, you know, we attribute it to these guys to make it look a little more credible. I have to tell you, though, although that's a common saying, something you might even hear in church sometime, I have to tell you, It's really not a great saying. Like, it would be like telling me, telling a chef, okay, chef, feed all the people, and if necessary, use food, right? Oh, all right, thanks. You know, you tell the guy who's going to build a house, right? You want to build a house? Build the house, and if necessary, use wood. Oh, okay. I will. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Because guess what? It's always necessary. It is necessary. You know, the idea behind the statement is that, you know, it would really just be better if you could just, if you just follow Jesus, do your own thing, and what? Keep your mouth shut unless absolutely necessary. And I'm here to tell you that's the point. It is absolutely necessary. It's always absolutely necessary. The gospel is what? Good news. And guess what? Good news has to be shared in words, right? It has to be told. Paul the Apostle, he said this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on there in Romans 10, and he says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? There's that word again sent. The mission of Jesus, it was both a mission to show and a mission to save. And this is the mission that we have received from him, a mission to show and a mission to save, and both aspects are important. And here at Whitefields, you know, this is a key element of who we are, who we want to be, who we strive to be, who we believe we're called to be. We want to be people actively engaging in our community through various kinds of outreaches throughout the year, which are for the purpose of mission, to show and to save. You know, what does it look like? You might ask, what it for practically, right? For our church, for me as a Christian, for you as a Christian, what does it look like to live out the mission of God? What does it call, what does it mean to be a missional community? Well, first it means this. It means being intentional, In order to be on mission, to be missional means to be intentional. Intentional in your actions, constantly aware that you are on a mission. For us as a church, one thing that means is that everything we do, everything from our Sunday services to the way we do music, to our um, outreaches in the park, to our community groups, every event that we do has two basic purposes, two basic things we're trying to do. Number one, In everything we do, we want to minister to and build up believers in their most holy faith, that they might grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. And the second part, though, that we also want is that we want everything we do to be an outreach. Everything we do to reach out to people and build a bridge and open a door for people who are not yet believers but they're interested, that we might show them the love of God and the truth of the gospel. Being missionally minded means that as a church, we also, we want to equip people with the knowledge and with the skills that they need so they can play their part in God's mission in the places where he has placed each of you. So to be missionally minded, it also means to be outward focused. You know, here I try to avoid using Christian jargon, you know, the kind of language that you know, Christians understand, but nobody else does, right? And we want to speak in a way that's understandable and comprehensible to all people. Anybody who might walk in that door from any background, we want them to understand clearly what we're talking about, and we avoid Christian jargon. In the epistle of Jude, Jude says this. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. It's an interesting verse. I don't think it gets enough airtime, honestly. Have mercy on those who doubt. What that means is, that when you got people who, who doubt, who have serious doubts about faith or about God or about belief, uh, we don't consider them enemies. We don't, we don't try and take them down, you know what I mean? We, we have mercy on those who doubt. People who don't believe what we believe, we're patient with them. And, and rather than viewing them as enemies or, or us and them type of thing, we intentionally seek to build relationships with people with a purpose, So that through those relationships, we might have a bridge. We might have a door, an opportunity to show them the love of God. And hopefully, we'll have the opportunity to help them come to believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Also, to be missional, another way to put it is, to be missional means to be incarnational. To be missional means to be incarnational. What that means, that that word, it just means you meet people where they're at. You enter into their life. You meet people where they're at because that is what God did for us in Christ. You know that? He met us where we're at. The incarnation was that God became a man and he spoke our language and he lived amongst us that we could understand what he was all about. Now return with me and we'll finish here. Return with me to 12 men sitting around a table having their last meal with Jesus. Just a few years prior to this, Most of them had never met before, but they were just kind of thrown together, weren't they? All these people, they were so different, and many of them had nothing in common with each other. They were on different ends of political views, different ends of, you know, what they did for a living. They're just kind of thrown together around this man and his mission. And these men, who three years ago, most of them had never even met each other, now at this point, sitting around the table, they are closer than brothers, Jesus brought them in. He brought them together. And now what is he doing? He's sending them out. He's sending them out. And this person, this mission, brought these strangers together despite all their differences. And this man and this mission gave them a new identity. And within just a few years, from this moment where they're sitting around the table, within just a few years, almost every single one of them will give their life for this mission. Literally. Literally. Do you think it was worth it? Do you think it was worth it? You know, they could have just remained fishermen. They could have just remained tax collectors. They could have just been doing their thing if they hadn't been dragged into this, right? They probably would have lived to a ripe old age, but instead they gave their lives for this man and for this mission. Do you think it was worth it? I have no doubt that every single one of them would have told you it was more than worth it. We know what it means to be a Christian is this. God has brought you in. But once you've been brought in, he also sends you out on a mission. On that same mission that he came on. On that same mission that he sent his disciples on. On that mission to show and to save. This is the mission that Jesus gave his life for. This is the mission that these disciples and apostles gave their lives for. This is the mission which thousands upon thousands of people have given their lives for over the past 20 centuries. And this baton has now been placed in our hands. This baton has been placed in our hands. Do you realize what a high, holy thing that is? What a, what a, lofty thing that is, that this baton has been placed in our hands and it is our turn to run with it. God never brings you in to bless you without sending you out to be a blessing. So I would ask you this morning as I close, how has God brought you in to bless you? What are the ways in which God has uniquely blessed you? What are the ways that God has uniquely blessed us as a church? Those are the ways in which he wants to send us out to be a blessing in that mission to show and to save. May we be faithful in carrying that baton. Amen? May we be faithful with what he's blessed us, with what we've been given. And may we be ready for him to send us out to be a blessing and carry out that mission. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that you know us, that you created us, that you know the deepest needs and longings of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you that in you we find everything that our hearts long for. In you, we have all in all. That is who you are. Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the ways, Lord, that you've brought us in and blessed us, that you've given us a new name, a new identity, and a new future. And Lord, may we be faithful in carrying on that baton. That baton of your mission, Lord, may we be faithful as a church, as individuals, Lord. You've already sent us out on mission. Lord, may we show and may we bring people to you that they might be saved. Would you give us the grace and the strength to carry that out faithfully according to your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.